You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. This may sound like an odd um, title to my message, but uh, when the saved need salvation, when the saved need salvation, it'll make better sense as you read through our passage of scripture here tonight. Psalm 62, if you'll follow along with me, we just got a few verses here that we can read through, all right? Beginning in verse 1, the Bible tells us, truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only, notice all the things that kind of tie in with the word salvation, and you'll find out it's not talking about the day you get saved, it's uh, salvation within your salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved, which is a great fear that lots of people have uh, lots of times, and it kind of uh, shakes their Christian life a little bit. But he says, with what I'm telling you, I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies, They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only. You catching a repetition here? He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity, worthless. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. And let's go to the Lord in prayer there. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being back in church tonight and for the praise items. I'm sure we could have had many more if we had taken a little more time. But I'm thankful for those and for what God has done for us. Lord, you've been such a good God to us. I pray for Dahlia again tonight and pray that God somehow, some way, you'll help them to know how to work through the issues that continue to rise from uh, this tumor. We just pray that the hand of God would be strong upon her body and soul and spirit and continue to encourage her 
and that family meet needs that we don't even know are there. Just bless and help them. And in the the Word of God tonight, please speak to our hearts and help us and uh, deal with us according to your Word. May the truths and the principles that are given here rest in our hearts and souls tonight. And I'll just be grateful and thankful to you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you look at this psalm, I like to find out why psalms were written. Lots of times David, and there's a few other authors uh, who wrote the psalms, but um, many times when David is writing a psalm, especially when it's one that says, I need help, basically, or I found out that God was there with me all along, usually it has something to do with a, a circumstance that was very difficult, David running from Saul, or a time when he was with the Philistines or any number of other things. And with that as a background, it was helpful for me to realize, like, you know, behind him is standing Goliath, uh, the thought of him, and he's writing this psalm. And that would help me to understand that psalm a little better. Well, this one does not have a specific background that any of us really know about. I'm sure in his day, things were filling his heart and mind, and probably circumstances were rushing through his mind that uh, may have helped prompt somewhat of a background for what he's going to say here tonight, but it's not given to us, and we really don't know that. You could go through the story of David's life and pull out a number of different places, but the truth is, and most every commentator will tell you the same thing, we really don't know what it was for, which really, then to be honest, this psalm could fit just about any circumstance in your life. And anything that you can relate to, to what he's saying here, would not have to be so much specifically to a time like David maybe have been going through. This fits just about every circumstance that the Christian may uh, encounter in his Christian life. So that, that's helpful to me. Uh, you could call it a generic psalm as far as what it's specified to, but very specific as far as being able to help the Christian in his Christian life. So you can just kind of keep that in mind as we work our way through this and be willing to apply Psalm 62 to your life uh, at, at any given time, all right? So I want you to notice uh, before I get into like my points that I think verse 1 is a, is a verse that I would like to use to kind of highlight the chapter. It's the way it was God used it for me. Notice he says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. And he says, truly My soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He was making a declaration there, and if if he was trying to get this church, if somehow David had been able to come here and to talk to us tonight, and of course, King David talking to us, but if he could have stood up here and explained to us his heart tonight, what he would want us to know is honestly and truly that the one thing in life that he waits on, that he really truly believes beyond any and everything else in this world in all of eternity that, that he looks to to be any kind of help for him, he says, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. It's, it's my bottom line. I don't have uh, other areas that I gather a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Of course, he gets encouragement from friends and so forth and things like that. But he knows that his, the word salvation is not the day he gets saved or trusts Christ as Savior. 
It's the day God brought him out of maybe a difficult time and a circumstance that he was going through. I, I began to relate to that a little bit. Um, I remember, if I can grab my water here, um, sometimes I'll reference my parents and my mom. I remember the time when we had gotten the call from my family that my mom was probably on her deathbed and, and 900 miles away. We had to make frequent trips back and forth to Ohio. And, um, and we went out, and I was able to visit with her one last time, and I'll never forget that visit. That was, um, that was a difficult one while she was still barely alive. And um, we probably all have our stories, but I just won't uh, ever forget the day I'm just trying to tell my mom goodbye, and she's almost comatose. She's not talking to anybody at this point. She can barely respond in any way. Um, and I remember giving her a hug and just holding her and saying, you know, Mom, I, I, I really love you with all my heart. And I remember telling her that um, I, I, I want to thank you for raising me in a Christian home and, um, and raising me up to be a, a Christian. And I remember trying to share that with her and and I, I didn't know if she was even hearing me or not at that time. But while I'm talking to her and holding her, I could feel her arm kind of sliding up off the bed from her side and it coming up across uh, my back and then to my head, and I felt her going, huh. I, I won't forget that. That was, that was even on her deathbed trying to comfort me. And then we went back home, and we were home a week or two, and then got the call that she had passed away. And um, we, we went back to the funeral, and I was trying to be real lighthearted, and, and I, uh, I, I knew I could be strong and, and um, tried my best to be strong for my family, and, and, I, and I did really good. I, I really did until the day of the funeral. In Ohio, they do funerals very differently um, well, in, in the end, like when they bring the casket in and bring it to the front, we always close the casket and, uh, and bring the casket to the front, but they bring the casket down, lid open, and, uh, and leave it open during the funeral. That, that was hard uh, to sit there through the funeral and, uh, and have my, you know, you could see my mom and everything. But uh, when it was all over, everybody went by and shook her hands and, and so forth, and then my um, everybody kind of left, and we're waiting to take the casket out. Uh, but my sisters had gone down to the casket, and I could see the family was gathering one last time as a family. And I, um, I went down with my family just to say one last goodbye. And I was so good until I heard my sisters. And my sisters, um, my two of my youngest sisters, they started this crying, and this crying's not unusual, but then it goes into that deep guttural, just sobbing. And oh, I remember having to, I had to turn around and run to the, run to the back of the auditorium and trying to get away from that. I, I wasn't going to be able to take it, and then I broke. And, um, and I, I, I just couldn't take it, and I broke. I mean, I really broke. It was hard. And, uh, and afterwards, people tried to comfort me, and, and they, again, they were an encouragement to me. <clears throat> And I appreciated everybody's efforts at that time, but I, here's what I absolutely, I'd been pastor for many years at that time also, but, um, but, but what I did know was this, 
that uh, I love my brothers and si- brother and sisters and, and all the church family that was around me, but I knew I wasn't going to really, really, really get help till God did something. And then when God showed up and gave me his grace and comfort, it was kind of like that hug I was telling you about this morning. You can just tell when God's there and when God comes in and does for you what nobody else can do. And I, in, in a little bitty way, I felt like I could relate to what David was trying to get us to understand here tonight. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. And I know this, that if I'm going to have help, grace and strength and comfort in my lifetime, please be an encouragement. Please pass on kind words and all those things. But I will tell you when I leave uh, the house of God or a friend's home that I know where my real help's coming from, and you do too. Uh, My help and my hope, I'm waiting upon God Almighty. With that in mind, David goes into this psalm and gives to us some thoughts that I think can really be uh, some help to us. Uh, David was waiting for, he calls it salvation, uh, but he's talking about the help and the relief from the trauma, whatever he was going through. And uh, when God showed up and when God came into his circumstance and the Lord was able to you know, take control, then and only then did David really realize my real help, my real salvation has now shown up. So number one, I want you to look at what he describes as, what I see him describing as, um, I was going to call it the singularity of our salvation or our help. When you hear me say the word salvation tonight, I'm talking about our help and our hope, our, our, our grace, our comfort, okay? The singularity of our salvation, but I think it probably would be better understood as uh, the single source of our salvation. Three different verses, he references this. Look in verse 2. Verse 2 said, He only is my rock and my salvation. Look in verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God. Verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. And I think we could all say a hearty amen that God is the only hope that any of us ever have. I think we could all mentally, at, at least mentally assent to and agree to the fact that we only really have one hope and I think I could just encourage a hearty amen that God is our only hope and I think we could all agree to that. Um, the heathen and the religions of this world uh, you may know as well as I do or better that the heathen in this world, the Hindus and many others, they have multiple gods, small g gods, uh, just to make sure all of their ends are covered with every area of their life. So they have multiple gods that they would pray to and call out to, and a, a god of rain, a god of fire, a god of our food, a god of protection. And they have, in some cases, tens of thousands of small g gods in their life that they go to. And why would you have to have a whole bunch of gods? Because you've got to make sure everything in your life is covered. And then when you think of something else in life that might be vulnerable, you take another god to you so that that thing would be covered, so to speak. Uh, you go to the Egyptians, and if you go back to uh, the time of Pharaoh and, um, and Moses bringing God's children out, at that time they had over 2,000 gods themselves. 
Uh, they had a god for each of their towns. Other gods represented plants or animals and so on like that. But if you remember, how many plagues was it that God sent into Egypt? Ten plagues. And each one of those ten plagues was sent to convince Pharaoh to let his people go and to be uh, a direct attack on one of their specific gods that they held to. And that plague would come and their small g god was called upon and could do nothing about that. And it was like God saying, your small g gods cannot do the job. There's one capital G God that could solve every problem if you would be willing to understand your help and your hope is only in God, Jehovah God. And again, that intent of God was to prove that many gods are worthless and that there was really only one true God. And we need only one God that covers everything. And I, I hope we believe that with all of our heart tonight, that we only need one capital G God in our life. I, I trust and pray that that's where we're at with that. Um, Luke chapter 11, verse 34, Jesus tries in numbers of ways to help us to kind of get focused in on Him and Him only. Luke eleven thirty four 34 says, The light of the body is the eye, therefore when thine eye is single... Uh, thy whole body is full of light, but when uh, the eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. And the, uh, the idea behind that, having a single eye, what I really believe Jesus is trying to get us to understand here, is don't have multiple things in your life that you look to, that you gain influence, inspiration from, uh, look in one direction and one direction only, get your hope and your light from the light of the world, and that is Jesus Christ. And he would say to you and me here tonight, I, again, I don't think there's a one of us here that believe that any other small G God is going to help you out in any other area of your life. I, I think we think it's all uh, laughable that, you know, well, God's really good for this, 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 and this in my life, but I, I got a couple little areas here that I, I really got to have make sure they're really covered in this life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out to the God of lizards or whatever you want to make up uh, to be a help to you in, in those areas. I don't think there's a person here that would think that tonight, but I, I would have to say here tonight as well, um, if your attention, please get this, if your attention is divided in your life. And if you are thinking that, you know, God is my help, He is my only source, but in reality, the way you live your life is, you also have other vices or other things in your life that you lean upon and that you hope in and that you cling to and you, you draw a source of strength from those things as well. And if you would be forced to be honest with yourself and God, in some cases, we'd have to admit that there are little things in life that I look to as my, my encouragement and my help as well. And I, I believe David just comes along and says, you know what, guys, maybe I might have been there at one time in my life, but I just need you to know tonight that my only hope, the only rock, the only salvation that I have in my entire life is to be found in God and God alone. I've gotten past the, the thing where I have to have this person and and have these things in my life and where my focus and my attention becomes divided with other things. And, and guys, let me just say this. When, 
when God is not your single focus, uh, you undermine and you divide your strength. You just do. I want 100% God in my life. We all say amen to that. I want all that God has for me. So I don't want to divide him up and say, I'll take part of you and a little bit of the world. I mean, how foolish. I know nobody would use those words, but in your actions sometimes they betray our real heart. And we start to lean on these other things. And I'm just saying, you divide your strength from God. You split off the power that God could really have for your life. And David comes along. God gives us this psalm and helps us to understand, He only is my rock. Wait thou only upon God. He only is my rock and my salvation. It's a great encouragement, I believe, for the Christian life. And then David moves along down in the psalm and he rebukes the enemies of the Christian. Look in verses 3 and 4. Quick moment. Verse 3, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? These are those on the outside trying to get to the Christian's life. Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. The only, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. These are the enemies of the Christian. They love to work their way into our lives uh, covertly and overtly. Uh, uh, they like to come in and undermine uh, without us being able to see what they're doing covertly. Uh, and then overtly, in an outward way, they also try to get into the Christian life and, uh, and uh, tear us down. And after David declares his absolute faith and trust in the one and only God, he then turns to the things that try to draw us away from God the outward enemy that's working against us on a daily basis. And it's almost scary to stop and to realize how many things Christians are relying upon other than, as I said in the previous point, that, that one and only God. And an honest and a heartfelt introspection, I mean, a genuine looking into my heart and soul might just reveal our trust is in multiple things. Could be in our finances, uh, you know, as long as I have good health, um, and it has been humbling to my heart to know that people who are not in good health, and I'll use Dahlia again, to be in such poor health and to be able to say the things that she's been saying about her faith and her trust and her hope in God. And I, you know, I don't know where Dahlia was two years ago with her hope and faith in God. I'd like to tell you I thought it was strong in the Lord, but I can tell you this, I know now where it really is. That girl was real on the outside and on the inside. And sometimes we may not even realize it till we get into one of those very difficult moments where you have to look inward. And God is saying, I'm going to turn a mirror on you. And I'm going to show you these outward influences have begun to ruin your life. And you may think and have everybody else thinking that you're living for me and that you're doing right, but I'm going to show you the rottenness in your heart that has begun to creep in. And uh, so David is rebuking these enemies that try to, to get into the, to the Christian's life. Uh, as long as I have my good health and I, <clears throat> my possessions are flowing in and my job is good and lots of other things in life, um, as long as they can be my source of salvation, uh, we don't even realize that we've knocked God somewhere. I don't even know if he's in second place, much less third or fourth place. I'm, I'm just saying... Uh, 
sometimes things have begun to work in our life. Verse 3 and 4, it's very obvious. And David is rebuking those things in, in, in this world in that as they work in our life. You say, well, I'm not sure if that's happening to me. Well, I would just say it's, it's easy to determine. And, and just ask yourself, where do you run to when you're really, really needing? Think about what I'm asking. When you are really, really needing some kind of deep, deep help, where do you go? And Think about that. It becomes very revealing to yourself. Uh, God is clear to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And we only have one God. If you are trying to make things in this life, whether you're realizing it tonight or not, things in this life, your security, please understand you've built a little idol in your heart, you're trusting in it, uh, you're, you're leaning on this bowing wall that's ready to fall over and you think it's good and solid and God calls it a bowing wall and here you are, you know, in the shadow of this wall thinking everything's just fine until the winds of judgment come blowing by and that wall falls on you and you're left laying there wondering, what happened to me? And God wants us to understand you didn't look deep enough. You, you live this superficial Christian life, the world began to work its way into your life like I said, either in an outward open way or, or a sly underhanded way, it has a way of working in our life through either whatever influence you've allowed into your life. You name those things. The Holy Spirit of God can reveal those things to you. I, I remember as kids uh, back in Ohio, the, during the snowstorms, we'd, we would get out there and we'd build our snow forts. And, uh, and as kids, I had not taken architectural classes yet. And I remember one time in particular, I'd hide behind my fort, they're hiding behind theirs, and, and I stood up to throw my snowball, and my whole fort collapsed right over on top of me. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing this sermon, and I thought, you know, uh, that's funny when you're a kid. But when you're an adult, and you are needing something to be strong and solid for you, and those things that you began to lean upon that had no strength in the first place, you drew some kind of superficial help from those things. They begin to fall and to topple on you. What's really sad about that is sometimes, especially if you're within a, a family structure, you're not the only one that's going to get hurt. And you're going to have little ones running around your feet, and you're going to have a spouse that is trusting in you. And here you are, trusting in the bowing wall that uh, can, uh, can take us down, that tottering fence that holds nothing up really. So David rebukes those things in our life, and, and when he just finishes saying, my only hope is God, it's only God, there, there isn't God plus a bunch of little things, only God, then he rebukes those other things that, you know, kind of makes us ring the bell and look in your own heart tonight and see, are there things like that at work in your life that may be trying to, you know, topple on top of you? Thirdly tonight, David looks at the bounds of our salvation in verse 8. Drop down there again in verse 8. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 
So go back to the first part of the verse, and if if and since he is a refuge for us, last Sunday night's message, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Those things being true, then what he says at the beginning of the verse is, now trust in him at all times, at every time and every moment in your life, trust in him. I mean, I can just tell you this, that when I'm in a great need, but I can see how God is going to take care of that need, um, I, it's, 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 it's a tough circumstance, and it's a little bit fearful, but I can look out and see that, uh, okay, i got the means for this to be able to hand, be handled, and, and I've got people in my life that can take care of this. Hey, this is going to work out okay. When it's like that, I, I'm here to tell you my faith skyrockets, and I, I'm on top of the world, and you ask me how your faith is, I'm saying, I'd tell you, good and strong, man. I just feel like I, I am really strong in the Lord. When everything's running smoothly and all those little pieces are falling right into place, I mean, just ask me how my faith is and how my trust in Him is. And I'll tell you, it couldn't be any better. Because life is really good as long as I know and I can see how things are going to get worked out. But when I'm in the lion's den and all I can see is fur and teeth, God says to trust Him even when I cannot see how I'm going to get out of this. Does that make sense? Abraham was told by God, um, leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place. I'm not even going to describe it all to you. It's going to be a land of promise. And um, I'm not going to give you all the facts and figures about it. But I want you to do, I want you to take off. Now get going. And if anybody would have asked him, where exactly are you going? What exactly is going to take place? He'd have to look at him and say, I don't know all those answers. But I know the one that told me to go. And the, the one that told me to go has all the answers too. And that's all I need to do is to hold on to his hand. And I know that when I get there, it's going to be okay. That's easy to say from a pulpit or from a Sunday school podium. But when you step out on Monday morning and you get to work and things are hotter than firecrackers and things at home are not good and you don't see the way out, God says, trust in him at all times. It's got to be what David meant, don't you think? In Psalm 56, 3, what time I am afraid, I'll trust in thee. I don't have it all figured out. And to be honest, it's a little scary right now. You think those uh, three Hebrew children going toward the fiery furnace, Uh, feeling the, the hair on their head starting to feel singy. You think there wasn't just a little strike of fear here and there? Uh, maybe. Uh, dropping down into a lion's den. Uh, you don't think there was maybe some wondering? But those men had such an ultimate trust in God at all times. They just said, this is another one of those times, and I am going to trust the Lord at this time in my life. I've been afraid before, many times before, but I knew God was in control. And and I've been out of control before, but I knew the one that was in control, and I was okay with that. God deserves our trust at all times. He really does. Even when I can't get it figured out, He deserves my trust and my faith and my hope in a God, even when I don't know all the secret things that only belong to God and God alone. Just to know that God knows is all I need to know and to hold on to his hand. 
when I'm the one ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace and that fiery trial is right in front of me and, and I can't see the fourth man in the fire yet. I'm supposed to trust him. I need to trust that when I fall into the furnace, the, the bonds that have held me down will burn off and know that God will just be there with me and for me. And when I've gone far away from God, think of Samson. And the enemy now has me in bondage. I need to trust that God will grow my hair again and give me back my strength. God will right my relationship with him and make things right. And even though I have wandered, as the old you know, invitation hymn says, I wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. And just to know that even if I've wandered away, God will still be there for me and I can still trust in God from a backslidden position trying to get right with God. God will help me and He'll be my hope at any time in my life. Like Samson, if my eyes are blinded and I can't see my way, I need to know that God can see ahead for me. And when I've lived like a fool in the world, and the way I'm beginning to see that the way of the transgressor really is hard, like the Bible says, I need to trust that God can still renew my strength and cause us to mount up with wings as eagles. Trust in Him at all times, no matter what the circumstance or what time it might be like. God will let us run again and not be weary. He'll let us walk again and not faint but trust in Him at all times. And then David ends with showing the vanity of these false saviors that try to work into our life. Look in verses um, 9 and 10. Verse 9, he says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. This is talking about uh, the men in this world that can, you know, do things for you that you can maybe begin to lean upon and to trust in. And, and there's numbers of ways you can begin to lean upon other men. I, uh, numbers of ways that you're trusting in the work of a man. But he says, men of low degree, guys, they're vanity. Uh, men of high degree, they're a lie. Um, uh, to be laid in the balance altogether lighter than vanity. They have no value for your life. And then he says in verse 10, he's talking about my personal actions now. He says, now, your own self, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And what he's telling us here tonight is you cannot trust in what a man can do for you or what you can do for yourself in your flesh. Your only hope comes from God. Verse 11 God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God, not unto any other man, not myself or what anybody else could do for my life. And if I would just take an honest look and determine tonight, am I honestly, genuinely trusting in God, only God, at all times in my life, and believe that He's my only hope and my only help? Am I honestly trusting in Him that way? Or am I running around trying to devise and work out my little life to make sure things fit the way I want my life to go? God help us to be willing to lay aside a life that I think is best for me and that I think I've got it all figured out and just come down and bow down before a holy God and say, God, you alone are my rock, my defense, my refuge tonight. I have no other hope but in you. When you do that, 
you'll be able to walk away, whether it happened at a service like this or at, a, at your house, sitting down and having your devotions. Wherever that happens and you lay aside all these other things and you realize God is my only rock, my only hope, my only defense, you too will be able to say in verse 1, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. You'll be able to say that with all your heart and soul, not an ounce of doubt. You'll walk in confidence and strength, and you'll not worry about what the, the, the lies ahead and the days ahead. You'll know that the hand of God Truly, I am waiting upon my God. He is my salvation. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.